Hi, everybody. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of Not Too Taboo. I'm here with my lady love, Mitch Gretchen Christine Rossi. You almost didn't even get my name right. Like, you almost botched I that. stumbled? <laughs> you know why? Because you made me nervous. <laughs> really? I make you nervous? Yeah. Did you, know, did you know that we will celebrate 11 years together? Oh, my God. That is so cute right now that you actually remember this because most men do not remember this. No, I remember partly because you have a chalkboard at the house with a date on it. <laughs> So, just so in case you forget, it's right there in big, yeah, bold letters, right? Just, just recognizing my my honey. That's cute. I'm really proud of you. But That's there is awesome. a board. That's a good suggestion for everyone out there. I like know, you right? want your spouse to remember when you guys actually hooked up, I mean, got together. <laughs> uh, you should actually put a date somewhere on a board. That's a good idea. Yeah. I know that's years. why you did it. 11 years. Well, uh, anyway, excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Um, quick update. So last week we got to meet with Jenny June. Yes. Uh, who is our sleep expert. Right. We're going through the process of having her educate us mm-hmm. on the proper uh, sleep process for baby Sky. Right. Um, there's more to come on that. So, but I mean, as of... This week, yeah, she only woke up twice. Yes, she did really good. Yeah, she's been doing really, really well. So we're excited to bring you that update next week when we get the full training from the Jenny. The full Monty. Because I think it's going to be really helpful for those parents out there who are handling their first child. I agree. And putting that little kid to sleep. I agree. Speaking of children, how freaking cool was it with J-Lo's daughter showing up on stage at the Super Bowl. Very impressive. However, that also kind of segues us into this next thing. Right. There's a lot of controversy over that performance. Blew up the internet. Was it too risque? You know, um, and I think there's there's a lot to talk about on both sides of the fence. I mean, what what was your feeling with regard to this? Do you think that it was degrading or was it empowering? Well, for me personally, I mean, listen, I've been a huge J-Lo fan since I was a little girl, right? And I... Like, I watched it going, yeah, girl, like, get it. And I didn't even think anything of it. Now, listen, I'm not naive to the fact that when she got on, it was a stripper pole, you know, simulation of a stripper pole. It was like, wow, this is very sexy. But to me, the first thing that came through my mind was like, do you know how hard it is to do what she's doing right At now? age 50? At age 50. 50. That was the other part. And is this an ode to the fact that she just completed her film Hustlers, right? right. So it's about those women in the trade. She obviously had to have special training in order to do that. Right. And I, I kind of hear a little buzz about the fact that they did get kind of passed over for some of the awards right. this year. And maybe it was like, hey guys, look, I put a lot of work and effort into this. I want to show you that at 50, I can still go out there and perform like I'm 20. Right. And this is this is people also poking at the Me Too movement. Did we go backwards? Are we degrading ourselves? And I have to remind everybody, Me Too was about the fact that people in power were taking advantage of individuals who had an interest and desire to be within this business. Mm -hmm. This is a complete reversal. This is Shakira and J-Lo owning their power. Right, being comfortable enough to go you, out there. You are such a girl dad right now. I'm a girl daddy, man. <laughs> I love and it. it. It was it was awesome. Yeah, parts it really of it was. may be a bit risque, but again, these are performance artists. And you think about our society today. There's Victoria's Secrets. There's Agent Provocateur. There's the front of Cosmo magazine talking about how to give your guy the best experience in bed you can. I mean, these this is our society today. Right. So it's really crazy that a lot of people are freaking out about this performance. Are they talking about Adam Levine being shirtless last year? Did we forget about Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson right. where he pulled down her top and she obviously had some star around her nipple? Right. I mean, which was obviously pre-planned and they act like it was a, a malfunction. Tell us your yeah. opinion, Slade. Well, you know, <laughs> personally, I wish I had the skill. You've got a lot of opinions right now. <laughs> I wish I had the skill to be topless on stage at, at you know, performing at the Super Bowl. That's funny. So anyway. No, I think that what's interesting to me is I feel that um, you know, the controversy of everybody saying that she was just like so risque and so over the top and all that is like 
at the end of the day, this woman is a performer. Like she, like I feel that that people know that this is what she's doing. Like she's in the entertainment business. This is nothing like out of the ordinary. It's not like, you know, she's this like meek woman that all of a sudden just decided to be overtly sexual or whatever. It's not like, you know how like the Disney stars, like they go from like being this like perfect Disney star and then they break out of their shell. Like I don't Miley know what you're Cyrus talking about, Miley Cyrus. Yeah. And, and like all those kids. I, it wasn't like that moment. It was, it was that moment of like, we know she's a performer and, um, you know, I think where people are having the biggest issue, though, was that like her her daughter was on stage with her and that there was a segment where there was kids there and all of that. So what's your feelings on that? Well, I mean, this kind of segues into, you know, the type of example that's being set for kids and what kind of example, like, for example, do we want to set for Skylar? So is it okay that I have a stripper pole in the house? That's a problem. <laughs> Honestly, I was going to buy you one for your birthday. Uh, <laughs> That's a year away, buddy. I want it now. <laughs> okay, I'm with you. So yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. I'm I'm, a, I'm torn a little bit because I think there is a fine line mm -hmm. between what is performance art versus going too far and something that becomes so overtly sexual right. that you miss the whole point of the performance. It's almost like those films where there's excessive nudity. Mm -hmm. It's like, you give the impression of nudity Two people can go behind the door. You know, you see clothes coming off. You know what happened. You don't have to have a full nude sex scene really to understand what's taking place inside I the room. I don't know what you're talking about. I but, like the sex scenes. Oh, <laughs> my God. This is why I love you. But you understand my point yeah, because no, it's I obviously do. something to consider when thinking feel, about the example of our kid. But do you feel like that was not appropriate for J-Lo to do with her child being on stage with her? I mean, it wasn't during while her child was there, but do you feel like that was a problem? Like what people are saying that that wasn't like a good example to her daughter? I'm, I'm totally torn. Yeah. Honestly, I went back and watched it a couple times. I loved Shakira's performance. I mm -hmm. thought it was fantastic. She showed all of her talents. She wasn't overtly sexual. The leather with the G-string and all the stuff that J-Lo came out in, she's holding her crotch, and maybe that's just kind of a hip-hop thing that she's doing, you know, which is an ode to her being a fly girl and coming from the Bronx. You know, maybe it's more about that. You know, I, yeah. it's it's difficult. I mean, I to sit here and judge, I think, yeah. would be a little much. See, for me, I personally feel like you have to look beyond the performer. And I feel like if you look at J-Lo and who she is as a mother and the way that she's raising her children, and you can tell that her children are confident, beautiful, strong, smart kids. I think if her kids were off doing something and being risque or doing things that were inappropriate, then you might go, hey, it might be the influence of the mom. But I think if you can separate the person from the performer and actually look at the whole picture, I actually think she's done a really good job of being an awesome mom. And the testament to that was her daughter walking on that stage, being so poised, so confident, and being able to blow the audience away and Prepared it was age appropriate performance. yeah it was age appropriate for her age and her mom has worked really hard to be where she's at and i think for me it was a very empowering performance if you ask me but that's good but as far as skylar yeah. goes and the example i'm setting for her i do think it's important i do think we have to look at those things and i think we need to you know recognize whatever we're doing in our lives how it is affecting that child and how they're viewing it and especially if you're in the entertainment business like you and I are I think that we do have to have those conversations very open and real dialogue with our children and let them know like look there's going to be some things that maybe mommy and daddy do or say or happens that might not be something that we encourage you to do or it's a role we're playing or whatever like that so that they can understand and differentiate between yeah. those things. And I am highly, you know, sensitive to the fact that how how I treat you right. or other people that are around and, and what Skylar picks up on. 
Yeah, you're really you know, good and, at this. And you know this, even you know from our time together, even with my other children. You know, I would never let them speak poorly of their mom. Right, even you know, though the moms have been horrible to you. Not not the moms. The one mom <laughs> has been horrible to you at times. I that was one thing I will say that was awesome about you, and that I picked up on right away is that one of the moms were, was truly horrible to you. And every single time that the kid even remotely started to go there, you were like, absolutely not. You will not speak about your mother that way. And that takes such a strong man and such a strong parent to not allow that to happen because, you know, especially when it's a divorce or a separation or whatever, like, mm -hmm. you know, you want the kid to love you more. You start talking, you know, you want them to like, you know, have the same feelings you have about that person. But I love the fact that you always stood up for that and said, no, I will not allow that. Oh, that's sweet, honey. I mean, that that's definitely the kind of example that I think we should be setting as parents. Right. Do we have time to take a break and have a makeout session? That, that was really <laughs> sweet. We should kiss a little later. Oh, my lordy. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood a little bit. What was some of the, um, you know, experiences you had with your parents? What, did you ever learn things that you didn't want to do or things that you did want to do because of it? Well, it's interesting because I my parents separated when I was young, yeah, and I ended up um, not getting along with my mother, and right. oddly enough, went to live with my dad when I was only 10, 10 right. or 11. Um, and I think my experiences from my parents are the negative side of things. Right. I saw the way they treated each other. I was the go-between. You know, tell your mom she's a bitch. Tell your dad oh, he's an asshole. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So maybe that's why you chose to do it, handle it, it differently it, for it yourself. It probably is, just subconsciously. I was that go-between, and both were speaking poorly of each other, and I never wanted to be in that position or knew that I never wanted to treat a partner that way. And, and the other lessons were, you know, business-related. I saw my dad so focused on the get-rich-quick. He was mm -hmm. always going out trying to do these, these business deals, and they'd fall apart part and he went through a bankruptcy. And then, you know, I think that's why I'm so hypersensitive that if I choose to do something, I want to be as proficient as possible. I want to know my craft. Yeah. You're right? really good at I'm that. Like, well, what sucks is- You like research everything. Like, and you're like a walking encyclopedia. I, you I know everything about everything. I don't well, know how you do that. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I'm do, old really. and dumb, <laughs> but I think that this is part of the characteristic that was developed when I was younger. I think I'm a pain in the ass because people go, oh, you're kind of a know-it-all. Yeah, you, you have something to say about everything. You can. You Part of the be. problem is, is that I have been conditioned to learn so much about whatever it is I'm focused on because I never wanted to be like my dad. Huh. And I, I think like I that. go so far above and beyond to yeah. educate myself that it's irritating. Yeah. I irritate myself, yeah. frankly. You can irritate me sometimes for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, it was interesting because the things that I learned from my parents was, I mean, my parents honestly were like amazing, incredible parents. You have they've, great parents. They've been married for, gosh, almost 50 years now. They were high school sweethearts. Such a great example. But what's interesting is the things that affected my brother and sister negatively affected me differently. So it's interesting too to see how the parenting styles affect different children. Yeah. And because it was hard on them. Yeah. Like they took it really, really hard. And I think it's actually what made, gave you your resilience. Right. So my parents were the type of parents that always did the, um, that was good, honey. But imagine if you had done it this way, how much better it could have been. So it was always, um, you know, you could do even better. You, you, and I think that's part of the reason I have this perfectionism issue. Like I struggle with it, it frustrates the hell out of me all the time because I'm just like, oh my gosh, is this perfect? Is that perfect? Do I, does this look good? Is my hair right? Is this, I mean, it drives me nuts. Like I literally drive myself nuts with it. Not just yourself. But, <laughs> but the point being is that I also think on the flip side of that, it has forced me to be 
um, so, you know, courageous and so driven and so motivated to like accomplish anything that I've wanted to in my life. And the way that it affected my brother and sister in a negative way was they, they didn't ever feel like they were good enough. And mm -hmm. I, and I think it's interesting to see how the parenting styles, how much it truly can affect your child. It does. And how much it can differently affect each child. So I think that when it comes to parenting, you have to really look at the child themselves and see, you know, how whatever you're doing is going to affect that child. But here's here's some credit I have to give to you though. You have you have grown so much in our relationship even beyond that because at the beginning you were so desperate for your parents' approval of everything mm -hmm. that you did. Right. Um and now you've gotten to the point where you realize, well, you know, maybe mom and dad don't quite understand all the details behind what we're doing or why we're doing it and you really own what you do. It's like, look, I'm happy to share it with you, mom and dad, but here's the thing, whether you approve, don't approve, I'm making the decisions what's best for me in my life yeah. and going beyond that. Because there, there was a point where it was almost a bit debilitating because if oh, mom and dad completely. didn't approve, it would like wreck you completely. and it would keep you from actually doing more or reaching higher right. because you were so concerned about what they thought and they just didn't really have the, the foundation to completely understand what we were doing. Well, completely. And that's such a testament to you because you're the one that really taught me to kind of stand in my own and, and be confident in that. But I think that when parents are always telling you like, honey, that was good, but it could have been even better. You're always constantly striving or wanting to have the approval of those parents. And it literally, you guys, no joke, took me till 38 years of age to break that and get out of that. And so I just think that it's interesting to see how much that can truly affect, affect every you. area of your life yeah. when your parents do something like that. We are so making out later. Oh my gosh. Speaking of, not making out, but speaking of parenting styles, um, we are so excited today, you guys, because we have a PhD out of USC. She's the co-author of The Power of Showing Up, Miss Tina Payne Bryson. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. We're so excited you're here, by the way. Thank, Thank you for coming. Thanks for Wait. having me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. let me explain. Sound effects let me explain from our live audience. <laughs> the um, the power of showing up. It says how parental presence shapes who our kids become and how their brains get wired. So I'm so I have like 962 questions. For I you. will answer and, all of them. And we're so excited because we talk about this all the time. Oh, yeah, we're really so what, what I have to remind people of this, and I, I get mad at Gretchen a little bit. So Gretchen's yeah. degrees in psychology. With a minor okay. in children and family studies. Oh, so she's uh, she's got a one up on you. I am pissed that she yeah. didn't disclose that when we started dating. Yeah, that's a that's it's a big like secret. if you're gonna be smarter than me and psychoanalyze me <laughs> right. like every day of my life, I should know. Pretty yeah. much. I think it's full on non disclosure. <laughs> I, I I would agree with that. Yeah. But she also has the leg up in terms of like she's got more knowledge than you, uh -huh. so she wins. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, Let's just spend I the day win. talking about how much better Gretchen is than I am. Okay. I'm up for that. Are you, Gretchen? <laughs> I'm yeah. all for it. I love it. Girl power. Girl yeah. power. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was just going to say. We are so excited that you're here. So thank, thank you for coming you. in. Thank you. Well, I love what y'all were just doing, talking about how your childhoods impacted you, because that's really a big foundation of what this book is about and really yeah. what my life's work has been about, which is that 50 years of cross-cultural research says that all those things that we think as parents that we have to do everything for our children and be everything for them and provide everything from them, mm -hmm. that is not what the research says. The research says the single best predictor for how well kids turn out is that they have what's called secure attachment. Oh my gosh, With this is exactly what, uh, this is our parenting style. 
child. Awesome. We are secure just, attachment like, parents. Like, sorry, that probably just with blew a, out his with, ears. With a little bit of helicopter, like, and we'll puddle later. <laughs> no, this know. is so. I love that you just said this because yeah. I, you guys, no joke, you guys. I don't. I did not. I have not read her book. I don't know anything about like what meaning. I haven't sat down and read every yeah. single thing that you think. But so Slade and I, before we got, yeah. Um, before we got pregnant, we sat down and talked about all so of our to say parenting. Before we had sex, <laughs> yeah, but we talked. We it took five other men to get me pregnant. By the way, you weren't even That's involved. So true, because um, <laughs> of IVF, you guys. I don't want that yeah, to sound just really be clear weird. on that. Yeah. Just be clear. Um, so we sat down, and I'm 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 totally one of these people that's like overprotective. Read everything, look at everything, and I would say I have a slight helicopter mom issue, but slight. Um, <laughs> But what's interesting is as I was reading through everything and researching everything, I said to Slade, I really want you to read about the secure attachment. And I right. really think this is the parenting style that we should incorporate with yeah. Skylar. So I'm so excited to hear you say yeah. that. 50 years of research says that's the single best predictor for how they turn out is that they have secure attachment with at least one person. And if yes. they have it with more people, that's even better. Yes. But the reason I mentioned you all making sense of your background and your stories and how those impact who you are as a parent is crucial too, because 40% of us did not have secure attachment with our own parents. Right. That's just the statistics. Right. But history is not destiny. So the right. research also Amen. says that the single best predictor for how well we are able to provide secure attachment to our kids, which we talk about in depth in The Power of Showing Up, is that not whether or not you had it, but whether or not you reflect on it and make sense of it. So I you just go, it. gosh, my That's parents awesome. didn't do this for me. They didn't help me feel safe or they didn't get me at all or they didn't help comfort me when I was upset. And that was really hard for me. And you make sense of it. And that actually is so transforming, not because it just, it's not because you just have awareness, but really the brain gets integrated and the wiring in our brain changes when we go through that process. Yes. Neuroelasticity, baby. Yes. Yes. And you know, what's interesting yes. about this when I was reading, um, uh, about this, it was actually Dr. Bob Sears, who would be a great person to have on our podcast too. He was talking all about secure attachment. And what is so fascinating to me is that a lot of people don't know this, but a and I might mess this up. So you're probably the expert on this, but a baby's brain is, is developed so greatly in that first year. And a lot of that has to do with the secure attachment and them feeling like you are meeting the needs, hearing their cues. And it's not, you guys, it's not like, oh, they cry every five seconds. You're just handling everything. It's about truly like bonding with your child and learning and getting to know them on in a level that they realize that you are going to be there when they really need you. That's right. And it's not about like, oh, just anything and everything. Because now I know, I know the difference between Sky's cry that's like, okay, come on. When she's like, working it. Yeah, you're working this she's with really me. Crying. Versus, versus an attachment versus cry where she says, I have a need yes. that needs to be need, met now. Right. Yes, and what's yeah. so fascinating to me is to see, I just told Slade this two days ago. She was in her little play area and she was, it was the first time that she was just fine by herself. Like she, we, we were walking around the house, we were doing our thing and she was in her play area and she didn't need us. She was entertaining herself. And I looked aside and I go, Oh my gosh, it's working. The secure attachment's working because one of the things that really did it for me was when I read the section that said that when a child is securely attached, they no longer are spending their energy on worrying if mom or dad are there and if they're going to be there, you know, That's like, right. like yeah. if you're in a playroom, for instance, and and with other kids and the kid wants to go and explore with the other kids or the, the other toys. The confidence to explore, exactly. And 
they don't want to go because they're like, oh my gosh, is mom going to be there if I need her and whatever. And if they feel that sense of like mom and dad aren't going to be there, they're they're spending so much energy and so much mental anguish in trying to make sure that they know that that person's going to be there or is that person That's still right. there, that they don't get to open up and go explore those toys and really enjoy it. That's versus right. if they have the secure attachment and you give the mom nod or the dad nod, like it's okay, honey, go play. They go play and they enjoy that and they get to learn and grow mm-hmm. in that process process rather than sitting there and being like, where's mom and being, you know, anxiety driven. That's right. And really that's what secure attachment is, is it's a safe haven and it's also a launching pad so that they know without question. And really the research shows this by 12 months of age, babies know, babies already have a mental model. Their brain has already wired to know my caregiver is going to show up for me or they're not. And what's interesting is babies um, at 12 months of age who have secure attachment with their caregiver, even if something stressful happens and they begin to cry, they actually don't have a huge stress response. They start crying and it's almost like they're they're like, I'm not really stressed because I'm just going to cry here for a second and then he'll come right and get me and I'm good. And so that's why we really talk about what does secure attachment look like? How do we facilitate that for Mm -hmm. our kids? Um, And by the way, these are attachment needs we all have as mammals. You all have these needs with each other, you know, our significant right. others. We're codependent. No, it's good. We're it's healthy. Needy. It's, it's healthy. <laughs> but really, what we talk about the four S's. So what does that mean to give secure attachment to our kids? It's about helping them feel safe, which is where we protect them from harm. Right. But we're also not the source of their terror and the source of their fear. Right. Because when we scream and yell at our kids and mm-hmm. things like that, then actually they have one circuit in their mammal brain that says, go to your caregiver, they're your attachment figure, they're going to protect you. But you also have another circuit that's saying, They're screaming and yelling and unpredictable. That's dangerous. I better get the hell away from that. So it can create some confusion. The key, though, about this, and I'll I'll talk about the other three S's, is that we don't have to be perfect. That's the other thing the research says. It's not about being perfect. I clearly have that issue. It's about being (laughs) present. Me too. Um, It's about being present and really showing up in the moment so that when we do have those ruptures, when we do yell at our kids, or we do have moments where we're unpredictable, the key is repair. Okay. And we go to them and we say, oh, I wish I had handled that differently. I wish I, I hadn't used that voice like that. I got really mad and I didn't handle it well. I'm so sorry. And when we do that, it builds resilience because... The child then has an experience that is like, relationships are messy, there's conflict, that didn't feel good, and we work through it and things are okay. So it actually kind of widens their window of tolerance for conflict in relationships. I love that. Otherwise, the world would be a really scary place if, if your yeah. parent was so perfect all the time. Yep. Because well, because when you just said that, what's so important about that is then some people would be like, oh, well, that— can be considered helicopter mom or tiger mom because you're always there and like doing stuff. And the truth is, is exactly what you just said. What's so amazing about that is that there is going to be things in their life that they have to face. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be issues in relationships. There's going to be fights with your parents, whatever it is. And they need to know and understand that there's a way to work through that. And there's a way to do it without being a helicopter mom or a tiger mom or coming and just always showing up for your kid and giving them the tools of how to work through it. Because those things are going to happen whether or not it happens in the home. It's going to happen outside the home. And And, and for our listeners, um, as we move on to these other other three uh, uh, tips, what's the percentage? We just read this, and I forget what the percentage was, that by the first year, a large portion of a, a baby's brain is developed into the human mind. 
Yeah. Is it like 80%? I, mean, it's a very, I don't know the exact statistic. It's a very statistic. large percentage, it's though. It's huge. The first three years are the biggest period of brain growth. What's interesting is the second period of the biggest brain growth is during adolescence. So for those of you who are listening, it's not too late. You have time yes. to show up for your kids. Oh my God, but I'm yeah. still stuck in adolescence, so I kind of miss yeah. mine. But by the way, I love that you just said that because there was an episode on Real Housewives of Orange County where I had a huge fight with one of the moms. Mm. Um, and it was in the way that she... I felt like was not showing up for her kids. And mm. one of her kids had reached out to me and had basically made some statements that sounded like they were like honestly going to Wanting to harm themselves. Yeah. And this yeah. had happened a couple like, times in a public setting in front of other people. Like I want to be heard. I'm saying oh, these things. That's so hard. And what's interesting is I got in a huge fight with this woman saying it's never too late to like mm. show up for your kid. Right. Like they are reaching out. That it's, a call, it's a cry for help. You need to be there. And she was just like, what am I going to do now? Like they're, you know, 14, 15, whatever it was at the time. And I was like, no, like you need to show up for them. So I love that you say that. And it's I never too it's late even if your children are adults. Yeah. I mean, really, again, these I are mammal needs. And, I agree with this. And the brain, we know the brain is plastic throughout the whole lifespan. And, you know, even now as we, as we talk about, you know, the idea of safe and seeing and soothed and secure, which I want to talk a little bit more about, is that when we start moving in that direction, when we help and we show up in a moment, maybe you even have an adult kid who calls you and they're stressed out about finances, and yeah. you show up for them in that moment, yeah. it starts changing the relationship and the brain right away. I mean, it's really right. incredible. And that's why I love this research is our history is not destiny. It's never too late. There's so much hope in it. There is, yeah. It's an important talk. We talked a little bit about this on the way up too, is that there is something called neuroelasticity. So the neurons in your brain continue to expand and retract yep. based upon how you're using your mind. That's exactly So to right. your point, it's never too late. So mm -hmm. if you feel like you're not someone who really has their hands on relationships or issues with finance, it is never too late for you to expand upon your knowledge base, That's right. fire off those neurons, right? Yeah. And evolve yourself as a thinking mammal. That's exactly right. And I think as we as we parent, it's really helpful to hold in mind that where attention goes, neurons fire, and where they fire, they wire. So what we give attention to is really a huge factor in how the brain gets constructed. So for instance, the next S is seen. And seen is really about not just looking with our eyes. It's about looking at the mind behind the behavior. So when Sky cries and you look at her and you say, oh, are you feeling scared? Or are you feeling hungry? And you, you really tune in right. to do what we call mind sight, which is seeing the your own mind in the minds of others, when you give attention to that and you really start helping her feel felt and understood, like my parents get me. Mm -hmm. um, when you're So when your response matches what she's asking for or needing, um, what happens is there's attention going to that. And so she starts building the neural circuitry around seeing herself and understanding herself and making sense of her internal landscape. Right. Um, you know, I remember a time, I have three boys, and I remember my, uh, my youngest, he was about four, and he had a massive meltdown about getting into the tub. And then he had a massive meltdown about getting out of the tub. It was just going to happen no matter what was happening, you know. Right. And he was tired. His little nervous system was all fried for the day. And so um, this, by the way, is not about permissive parenting. Boundaries help our kids feel safe. Right. And so this isn't about like, oh, I'm just going to talk about your feelings and we're going to have a reflective dialogue about putting your shoes on every time. Like, that right. is not what I'm talking about. Right. What I'm talking about is he's screaming and yelling he doesn't want to get out of the tub. And I say, oh, you're so disappointed that bath time is over. You were really having fun. 
So then he's like, oh, that's how I felt. She just named it. Mm -hmm. I feel understood. And in our book, The Whole Brain Child, we actually talk about name it to tame it, that when you name authentically and accurately how someone's feeling or how we ourselves are feeling, it actually calms reactivity in the brain. That's a wicked tool. But that's what I do all the time. No, I do it all the time to you. Do you notice? You don't even know I'm doing it. Not until she told me. (laughs) Reverse psychology, buddy. Tina's coming over for dinner. (laughs) So as I say this to him, I'm lifting him out of the tub. I'm saying, you're so disappointed, bath time's over, you're just so mad that mom's making you get out as I'm lifting him out of the tub, so I'm still holding so the he's boundary. distracted at this point. <laughs> and then that leads us to the third S, which is soothed, which is really where we're like, I'm here for you, I'm gonna help you, yeah. I can handle your big feelings, I'm not gonna join you in the chaos, right. I'm here to help you and right. to comfort you. And you know, when babies are little and they cry or they get hurt or they get scared or cold, it's really easy to soothe them, we kinda know what to do. As our kids get older, especially especially into adolescence, yeah. it gets harder, yeah. but they need that. And so, you know, I, as I'm pulling him out and I'm saying, you're so mad about this. And I say, if you need to cry or you need to yell for a little while, that's fine. I'm right here with you. And that's where it's Love different this. from helicopter oh. parenting or more intrusive, which is more likely what we see more like the snowplow parenting where you're, you're clearing the way Wait. so your little angel has no little bumps right. in the road. That really it's not about protecting them from everything. It's not about preventing them from feeling big feelings. You know, Mm -hmm. I see all the time a tiny little child starts getting upset about something and a parent shoves a phone in their face. And I'm like, no, let them feel and let them know you can handle them feeling. That's what we're supposed to do is feel and share. So I say to him, you know, it's okay if you feel that and you can cry if you need to, I'm here. Because it's not about preventing them from experiencing those things. It's about walking with them through Through it it. so they're not alone. My God, you are empowering Gretchen to the moon. She's going to make me soothe her later <laughs> like I just that oh. can be good for you it can lead to good things for you you know what though I love what you're saying because I will say and I really want to say this with a caveat because knowing my mom and dad they'll be listening to this I love you guys you're the best parents ever but that is one thing that they really did struggle with they really and I think it was more their era than it was mom and dad and listen all of us as parents nobody has a manual so like we're all gonna mess up I'm gonna mess up I'm gonna go back and go man I wish I did that better But the one thing that I really wish that my parents did more of is that they were, I I never, there was a lot of times I didn't feel seen or I didn't Mm -hmm. feel heard. And I certainly wasn't soothed in a lot of those moments. And it was always about get over it, move on, let sweep it under the rug. And that was hard. It was very hard for me as, as, you know, a kid growing up. And then I think the reason that I actually studied psychology and have the minor in family studies and child development is because I was craving that. I was craving that connection and that, that understanding of like, why is it so bad to talk about your feelings? Why is it so bad to do this thing? And I, and I remember I still even, I have diaries from as a young girl of stuff, I literally, the diary title says, stuff I will never do with my own daughter. Mm. Like literally, I have a diary yeah. that says that. And I wrote out the things that I never, that I always, that I wanted to like remember that really affected me as a young girl that like my parents weren't willing to talk to me about or I was struggling with that right. I never wanted my own daughter or child to feel that way. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy digging into the book because we talk about how the relational experiences we have wire our brains and set our mental models or expectations for how relationships are. And what you're describing there sounds a little bit like what we would call a dismissing pattern of attachment, mm-hmm. which is where you might provide physical needs and you, you know, you go to your kids 
ball games maybe and, right. and you're kind of loving everything but yeah. you they dismiss the importance of emotions they dismiss yes. the importance of the internal landscape family dinners tend to talk about the dog and the weather and the neighbors we don't really ever give attention to that internal landscape mm -hmm. and kids are often given the message you're kind of in an emotional desert yes and if you have a need I may see it or I may not see it, but I'm not going to show up for you emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so... But I think they also didn't know how to. They, because that was the kind of attachment pattern that they had they from had their parents, their yes, parents right? Exactly. right? And so this is why it's so great that you can reflect on that, that you can talk about that. And that frees you to not... That was an adaptive pattern in your growing up. Right. You know, you may not have right. asked for help. You internalized probably when your parents yeah. said, you know, quit being so sensitive about that. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. You internalized that. And they were like... You, decided I can't talk to them about these kinds right. of things. I'm going to have to find someone else to someone talk else to. to. So when we shut down and dismiss our children's emotions, um, we really give them the message, I don't want to hear it. You're on your own with that. Yes. And that's really not the message we want to give our kids. In fact, when you understand how the brain and the nervous system works, we know that when we are at our absolute worst, which sometimes look like, looks like horrible behavior, mm -hmm. that is when we most need connection. Right. And when our children are having tantrums and they're freaking out, we've, we've often been told to ignore them. Yeah. But our attention and showing up for them and being present is a need. And if you have a need, it's, it's almost like saying, oh, she, you know, say, oh, she's just trying to get attention. That'd be like, she's just wanting hydration and food. Like, right. it's a need. And because it's a need, if someone doesn't respond to you, you have to get bigger to get that need met. And so you have bigger and bigger behaviors. That's very interesting. And it's not about saying that. yes to very the behavior. Not. You can say no to the behavior. No, I'm not buying you that. But right. you always want to say yes to the feelings and to her experience. So this is, so Tina, explain to us too, this is a perfect way to like discuss how the soothing segues yeah. into security. Yeah. So again, not perfect, but when we have repeated fairly predictable experience of feeling safe and seen and soothed, the brain wires for that fourth S, secure, secure attachment, which is really that your brain has wired to expect that if you have a need, someone will see it, tune in to meet that need and show up for you. And what's so cool about that is it changes the brain. So as we grow and as we move into childhood, we expect our friends and our later romantic partners to be people who see our needs and respond to them and show up for us. And over time then, and I have a kid who's in college, so you have to, you know, like he's out in the world and I can't protect him in the same ways. But what we know from the science is that they learn then how to show up for themselves. They learn how to keep themselves safe, right. to see themselves and understand themselves, to soothe themselves, and then to be able to do that for others. Right. And it's because their prefrontal cortex has been built in a better way because someone has reliably but not perfectly shown up for them. Right. I love, I love, I'm going to steal that reliably but not perfectly. Yeah. I really love that. Um, I know I'm going to make a <laughs> note right now. But you know, I want to ask you something. Um, I, I truly believe that parenting is so much harder, um, today than it's ever been. And yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, social media and the access that people have to, you know, each other and children on social media or, you know, the bullying that goes on in school and all the stuff that happens now. Um, I just feel like it's so much harder to parent and to, to find a way to, do what you were just talking about when the world is not functioning that I way know. around them. Well, there's so many outside influences. Right. That's there's what a I'm lot saying. of noise. There's a which lot is, of which noise. Which is a great, I guess, a great question, Gretchen. How do you, as a parent, work through cutting through the noise and, and working to implement 
this particular strategy. Yeah. And that's why I love it because it's not always easy to do, but it's simple in that it's kind of my North Star. As a parent, if I don't know what to do, if I'm not sure what to say, I know that I can always go, okay, I'm going to go to the four S's. I'm going to help my kid feel safe, seen, and soothed right now. I and love, that's okay, what we're guides putting this me. on our fridge. We're putting these on our fridge. There's actually a refrigerator sheet at the back of the really? book that gives you all <laughs> main so ideas ready right for now. you. I love this. <laughs> so smart. You guys, the book is called The Power of Showing Up. So if you guys want to check it out, keep I'm just I'm just throwing this in here. Check it out because she has this little thing that you put on the fridge. I love it. <laughs> we keep actually going. do that in all our books because it's hard Me to too. remember. We're ta- we're it we're is. sleep deprived. Yes. We're exhausted. Sleep deprived for sure. Gretchen just writes it on my forehead in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So she so can like write wake it. up and yeah. <laughs> She's good at mirror writing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It's harder to parent now. I think part of that is, you know, in the past we had something that was called allo parenting, which is basically where there were lots of people, not just the parents, who helped care for the child. And we're more isolated now. And I think, you know, again, there's this culture that people believe that parents have to do and be and provide everything for their kids. And that's not true. But there's this hyper-competitive culture. You know, I'm worried now that eventually mindfulness is going to go that way. Like my kid has signed up for mindfulness classes and they're going to be more mindful than yours. You know, it can go <laughs> right. that direction. Right. But I think that we have all we we have somehow defined raising a child who's successful as being so based on achievement. Yes. Like, do they go to the fanciest school and do they go to, you know, all these things? And it's, you know, so many kids who are coming out of that, quote unquote, successful sort of path where they've gone to all the best schools. They are graduate on they're Adderall. Lo- and they're lost. <laughs> yeah, they have no Adderall. inner compass. They have so much anxiety. They have depression. They have major yeah. unsurmountable bills from, from college debt yeah. of, of, you know, trying just yeah. to get themselves through college. I mean, it's, it's interesting when you actually, like you said, when you do the research and yeah. you start recognizing the fact that this pressure that society puts on them, including the parents, yeah. puts on them that you need to be the best. You need to be this. You need to be that. It actually is causing a lot more mental illness. Agreed in this world than we even realize. And mental illness is a huge issue yeah. that is not being addressed. It's the biggest issue. It's bigger now than it's ever been in ever our history. Been. But what I want to say about that is that what you just said is so powerful in the sense that anybody out there that's listening to this that uh, is parents, I think that we really need to really think about and challenge ourselves to look at is our expectations or our wants or our ego getting in the way of what is best for our children's mental health. Yes. And I think that a lot of the times, you know, we are so caught up in like, oh, my child has, you know, the best academic and my child's going to USC or my child. Right. That's your school. But you know what I'm saying? Like all of these things, these acclimates that I think makes the parents feel good yeah. and you're forgetting about the child and their emotional mental that's right. needs in and the that's, process. That's why that S for seen is the hardest one I think for this generation of parents because they they often have a hard time seeing their kid for who they are because they have a roadmap already for who their child exactly. is supposed to be. Supposed yes. To be. And um, I think we need to ask ourselves like if, at the end of my child's growing up years will they say my parents got me? And they yes. showed up for me, or will they say they didn't get me at all? Yes. And I think, you know, I this is so powerful because we put so much pressure on ourselves and we're so distracted and overwhelmed and stressed as parents. We put mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on ourselves to be everything. But I think, you know, we also need to be thoughtful about we don't have to interact with our child with reflective dialogues every second, like I said. Right. It's really about being present, at least for some part of the day with our child. And, you know, I see, I think our devices are awesome. I love my device. I think they're really powerful. They can be connecting. It's how we use them. But I, 
there's a huge difference between a parent if you guys are pushing Sky in a stroller, she's even facing away from you. She's not even looking at your face and you're walking down the street and you're saying something like, wow, did you see that big truck? Look at those big right. wheels. That's all I do all day long. Versus pushing her in that same stroller and scrolling through social right. media where there's nothing happening. And right. so parents are not present. present. So I guess we're, we're sort of talking to the helicopter invasive parents, snowplow parents, who think they have to just do everything. And, and we want to say, you don't have to do all that. Just show mm -hmm. up and be present. Right. And then for the parents that are checked out and distracted to say, your kid needs you to show up and be present. What your kid needs most from you is flawed, imperfect, authentic you. That's what they need is you. I'm stealing awesome. all these lines. That's awesome. I'm stealing so all these So everyone, lines. the book is called The Power of Showing Up by Tina Payne Bryson. Uh, where can they find you if they want to learn more about the book or uh, tap into uh, everything else that you're working on? My website is tinabryson.com and that's B-R-Y-S-O-N. That is awesome. Thanks Thank you so, so much. much for being here today. Thank you for having Appreciate me. We learned so much from you. So thanks for we being here. We did wait. Ah! Applause. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Oh, we both took a breath in like we were going to talk. <laughs> I just beat you to it. I know. Thanks for tuning back in, everyone. You're listening to Not Too Taboo. Uh, what a fantastic guest Tina was. I know. Was. That was so she much was fun. really, really I good. feel like we learned even more, and I felt like I already knew a lot about it, but I loved everything she had to say. Will I be soothing you later and making you feel secure? You do that all the time, You baby. know I will, baby. <laughs> all right. We want to move into uh, this uh, fun little segment that we're going to start doing on a regular basis. I think we're going to call it. Rumor, Rumor has it. it. We're so cheesy. And uh, yeah, we are kind of cheesy. But uh, what's interesting is that this week we're the rumor. Again. Again. Why are we always the rumor? I swear. <laughs> Whatever. It's not going to be us every week, you guys. Yeah. But this one this one was funny. So, so apparently um, my ex uh, is out doing the rounds of press. And this is someone that I have not been in a relationship with for 14 years. At least. At least 14 years. Um, she appeared on a podcast. Uh, of another, another Bravo celebrity mm -hmm. and thought that she would bring up a topic and what she called spilling some tea. And she made the accusation that um, her engagement ring back from the day was fake. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's hilarious mm -hmm. uh, because the truth of the matter is, is that she was so desperate to be engaged uh, for the show that she bought the ring herself. <laughs> that's really so sad. for some reason, you're having an issue with the quality of the ring. It's kind of on you, sister. Uh, <laughs> not to mention, it's 14 years ago. Yeah. And, and I, it's like so weird to me that that's even like being brought up it's now. It's thirsty. It's like someone who's desperate to thrust themselves back into the limelight, in my opinion. And I also know that this individual has been calling around and is trying to get themselves back on Housewives, trying to get some attention to themselves. So you know what's funny, though, about <sighs> this? I, um, I, I'm going to tell you guys a little secret, little tidbit here. Um, she, this, this gal... Well, you guys know who it is. It's Joe. But Joe um, and I and Slade have a mutual friend. And what's so funny about this story is that literally like a month, no less than a month earlier, she was literally on the phone with her friend telling them, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so happy for Gretchen and Slade. La, 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 la. You know, I just want to like bury the hatchet with them. I, You know, I like claiming all these things that she's now been claiming for a couple years. And there's no... And hatch it to Barry. Like, yeah, we don't and like, care. we don't care. Like, she's not a part of our life. We don't ever talk about her, think about her, anything, right? But what was so funny is that when my girlfriend told me this, I was like, okay, that's cool. I'm glad that, you know, she's like finally, you know, decided to, because I guess for many years she like struggled with Slade and I being together and all this stuff. And so I was like, cool. You know, I'm glad that like she's just like, whatever, cool. I can be happy for them finally. Only took her a decade and a half. Good well, <laughs> for her. Way to grow up, like the maturity. Well, what's, what's crazy is that literally like, 
a month later, she's out like talking smack about Slade. And I'm like, well, that lasted a good month, you know? I was just like, come on now. So It's just pure desperation. And sometimes people have to realize that because you go out and talk smack or try to get press for yourself does not mean they're going to want to bring you back to a show. <laughs> well, I don't know. So, for some people it works, but I don't it just, know. It's ridiculous. So uh, I guess you know, what we could do is we could refer him to our jeweler. They're welcome to talk to happy jewelers and uh, exactly. talk about the authenticity of our jewelry and, and all the stuff that we buy. Well, I think the part that makes me frustrated about that is, you know, when somebody puts that out there, it makes you question the individuals and possibly, you know, the pieces that you bought for me and stuff like that. And that frustrates me because, you know, I just think that she, there was obviously a reason that she was doing it. There was a motivation behind it. And I just don't think that part was cool. And there was really no reason to even say that at that time. No, it makes no sense. But what's her, the funniest part about it is she bought herself the ring. So if she has an issue with it. She's got to deal with it herself. Like, exactly. It's on her. <laughs> right. Actually, funny right. tidbit. What? A certain publicist called us and asked us about our jeweler because of the quality of the oh, products. Yeah, that's right. And Donnie Wahlberg bought Jenny McCartney's ring from our jeweler. From our jeweler. Based that's upon right. our referral. That's right. Happy so, Jewelers. They're amazing. They by are way. amazing, actually. Is that a little promo? You, they can be a sponsor if they, they want to. They should be a sponsor of, this, of, the, show. of the show. Not too taboo. <laughs> Maybe and I could get some more diamonds out of the deal. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Just kidding. So the question of the week is, what can we do as parents to remember that we need to take the time to listen to our children? We must be present and allow them to experience emotions in the moment and not just dismiss their feelings. Please remember children want to feel safe, seen, and soothed. That's good advice. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us here on Not Too Taboo. We have exciting episodes coming next week. Amazing guests on calendar. Yeah, we are so excited about it, you guys. And don't forget that the most important thing is that you finish your day with intention, that you show up for yourself and give your soul a place to be heard. That's fantastic. Everybody, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Not, Not Too, Too Taboo. Taboo.